Acts chapter number 8, and uh, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 26. This is a familiar portion of Scripture, I believe, to most people. Uh, but there is one verse that I really want to focus in on this evening and preach from. I believe we need to get the context. Context is important as you preach and study and read the Word of God. The Word of God says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and like a lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me? To be baptized. Now, let me pause here and say this. If you have a New International Version, you're just going to have to listen to me read verse 37 because they've taken it out of the New International Bible. In fact, if you look in most NIVs, you, you won't even find the, the number 37. It'll go from 36 to 38. So if you've got one of those Bibles, you'll just have to listen closely. And I believe this verse is important, by the way. It says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now I want you to look back and look at uh, verse number 30. The Bible says, And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, I want you to notice how uh, this man responds to Philip. And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us, and we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it in the hearts of your people this evening, that you'd convict us, that you would confront us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us. Lord, that whatever you need from us, you'd elicit through the work of your Spirit in our hearts. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you read in Acts chapter number 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I think, is quite familiar to most of the people in this room. You, you're taught it in Sunday school. You hear preachers preach from it. And uh, I think sometimes in, in the abundant reading and familiarity with this passage, we miss just how remarkable of a thing has taken place. I mean, you understand, this is such a beautiful picture of God placing divine appointments in the lives of His children 
Uh, here, uh, Philip, he's been at a revival. He's been preaching. God's been working. God's been moving. And God pulls Philip away from that great move and tells him to go down into a desert place. Uh, I'm glad that God has a plan even when we're going through desert places, aren't you? Times where it's dry and difficult and times where it seems fruitless. But God has a work for us to do even in those places. And so Philip goes out into the wilderness, out into the desert area. And as he is traveling, all of a sudden, here comes a caravan. Here comes a man of great eminence, a man of great prominence. Uh, he is known as the Ethiopian eunuch. And by the way, in this uh, text, that term eunuch denotes an official, denotes someone that would have been uh, sort of a, a magistrate, an official for that person. And he sees this person riding in a chariot. And the Spirit of God says to Philip, Philip, go and climb in that chariot, basically. He says, go and join yourself under that chariot. And he walks up to this chariot and he hears that the man is reading from Isaiah 53. Now, tell me that God is not uh, coordinating and involved in the lives of His people. Uh, here's, a, here's a sinner riding through the desert. A strange doesn't know God, but somebody's put a Bible in his hand. And he's riding through the desert. Then all of a sudden, here comes a soul winner just walking through the desert. Imagine the chances that those two would meet. Well, it wasn't left up to chance. It was guided by providence, friend. And that's what God does in your life and mine. Our life is filled with divine appointments. And so he goes up and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And I'm very interested in how this man responds in verse 31. He says, How can I except some man should guide me? Now, you think, you know, when you think about all the remarkable circumstances around this story, I think really it can all be explained in one simple phrase, which is this, that God chooses to use human beings. What was it that put this man way out in the desert with a copy of the Word of God? Well, God put him there because he was going to put a soul winner there. What was it that put that soul winner out in the middle of the desert walking down the road? Well, because God was going to put a sinner there. God is so interested in using human beings in accomplishing His work and will that He's willing to put two total strangers in the middle of the desert that He might use Philip to share and show the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this man's life. Now, I've got news for you. God could do anything that He wants to do. Amen? He's God. Uh, he can do anything that He chooses to do. And some people have said, well, why would God use me? Well, I don't know why He'd use you any more than I know why He'd use me, but I understand this, that God, though He could accomplish His will in any way that He should desire, He desires to use people, to use people like you and me to share the gospel and to reach people with His saving grace. I want us to notice these nine words that this man gives in response, and I want us to take them just very simply in three sections and consider how that God uses us in sharing the gospel. And I hope, you know, every time I preach, I've got a desire, something I want to see God do. Here's what I hope that happens now. Here's what I hope God does, and here's what I hope you do. I hope that tonight God shows you that He desires to use you to share the gospel. And I hope that you decide tonight that you're going to let God use you to share the gospel with people that you come into contact with. Now, think about these words with me tonight. How can I accept some man should guide me? Let me say number one tonight, that when we look at these nine words, the first thing we hear is a great cry coming from the human heart. He says this, 
How can I? You know, we could sum up man's attempt to know God outside of Christ and outside of the Word of God with those three little words, couldn't we? How can I? And it implies to me, number one, that there is a limit to human understanding about God. We spent a little time talking this morning about how God has revealed Himself through His Son. And the Bible says, I'm not going to re-preach the message. Uh, You barely survived it this morning, amen, so I'm not going to put you through that again. But uh, we talked about this morning how that, that God has revealed Himself to humanity through conscience and through creation. And how that God now reveals Himself through the Word of God, through Scripture, through His Son, But uh, even a lost person, I'm talking about somebody living out in the middle of the jungle, somebody living out in the middle of the desert, somebody living out in the middle of nowhere, that don't have a church around, that don't have a Bible around, they can still have somewhat of an understanding that there is a God and something about who He is. Uh, You can look at creation. I'm not going to go through all of it because I dealt with it a lot this morning, but you can go through creation and learn a lot about who God is. Number one, you can learn that God exists. Because we understand if there's a creation, someone created it. Now, I know that answer may not satisfy a lot of people, but it satisfies me. And I think at a basic foundational and fundamental level, it satisfies every human heart. They look around and see that there is creation and assume somebody created it. They assume, they see the intelligent design behind it. You know that information must come from intelligence. Uh, me and a fellow were talking about it this morning after the service. The double helix, the DNA, has literally thousands of lines of information in it. If God didn't put it there, then who put it there? You can look at creation, you can understand that God exists. You can look at creation, you can understand that God is interested in the affairs of humanity and He's provided for humanity. You can tell that God is a God of order. You can tell that God is faithful by looking at creation. Did you know that? You can look at creation, you can look at the fact that the sun has come up every day and see that God's faithful. You can look at the fact that the seasons come in course. Now, we might get them in three or four days around here in East Tennessee, but but they always come in course, and you can tell that God is a faithful God and a God of order. I believe that man can look at creation and understand that God exists and some things about him. It says in Psalms 19, 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth His handiwork. And then we quoted this verse this morning, but let me read it carefully to you tonight. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understand by, understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, let's look at that verse a little carefully. Is that all right? It says, for the invisible things of Him. Now, what's it talking about? Well, it defines it later in the verse. It says, even His eternal power and Godhead. That's the invisible things of Him that can be clearly understood and seen in creation is mentioned. So, creation has a means of communicating the existence and power and majesty of God to the human heart. Let me say, number two, that through conscience, God has made Himself known to mankind. Even those that don't have a Bible, even those that uh, have never been around a church, even those that uh, grow up in a place where maybe society and culture is completely different from our culture here in East Tennessee, there are some basic fundamental truths that they accept and realize to be true. Now, I mean, listen, they, they may not realize that it's a sin to be an Alabama fan in East Tennessee, Right? But they do realize it's wrong to murder, right? I mean, listen, they may not understand that you have to... It is polite to refuse food 87 times before you ever accept it, right? But they understand that it's wrong to steal another man's goods. 
Where does that come from? Where does that sense of, of morality, of right and wrong? People say, well, society. Well, society doesn't account for it because if there's no absolutes and if there's no absolute uh, uh, sense of morality and righteousness, then why are the rules the same all the way across the world as they are here tonight in East Tennessee? Conscience bears witness. Men understand there's right. Men understand there's wrong. That's not up for dis- debate. That's not up for dispute. I mean, listen, there are places they want to debate it, want to dispute it. But at the end of the day, and we uh, told it this way this morning, if you were to ask him whether Hitler was a good man or a bad man, they'd say he's a bad man, right? And so at the end of the day, the conscience of man has a way of communicating to mankind. But now I want you to consider this. There are some things that creation and conscience cannot reveal to humanity. Listen to what the Bible says in Job chapter number 11, verse 7. It says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? By the way, that's not Job speaking. That's one of his friends speaking. But the book of Job is a perfect example that gives an answer to that. Because after 30-something chapters of debating and disputing and arguing and philosophizing, they still didn't have any better clue of who and what God was than they had when they began. It wasn't until God showed up and started speaking that they began to understand something about who and what God was. The Bible says uh, over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I'm going to make some very basic statements, but I think it's important that we establish them. God is God. And that means something. God is not relative. God is not subjective. God is not what you make Him to be or desire Him to be or perceive Him to be. God is God. Now, if we're going to learn something about that God, then the only place we can learn it is through His revealed Word and uh, how God speaks to the human heart through indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. So God is a, is a static being, if we can say it that way. God has a personality. God has a standard of righteousness. God has an opinion. It's not relative. And God is not who and what we make Him. He is who He is. And we either learn of Him and understand Him uh, to some degree and know Him, or we do not know Him. So the question is this. Can a man by himself understand and learn who and what God is? Man does not have the capacity in and of himself, apart from the revelation of God, to know these things. This is an important distinction. I've heard people say things like this. Well, a person uh, isn't accountable for their soul until they've heard the gospel. I reject that. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. It doesn't say the gospel in unrighteousness. It says the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, this is why this is an important distinction. Because uh, a man, creation... And conscience is enough to condemn a man, but it's not enough to redeem a man. It can show a man there's a God in heaven. It can show a man that they are a sinner. It can show a man that they are smaller than God, that they are unacceptable in the sight of God. But it is not by itself alone enough to bring a man to a saving knowledge of the God of heaven. If I believed it was, I want you to listen carefully. If I believed it was, I'd pull every penny of support from every foreign missionary that we supported. Because if they're going to places where there's no witness and light of the gospel, 
And if a man can only die and go to hell once he's heard the gospel and then turned it away, listen now, then they're doing more damage than they are good. Because I promise you, and I hope this is true, that they're preaching to more people than they're reaching. Now, we understand the book of Acts says there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby ye must be saved in the name of Jesus. And so a man must learn of Jesus Christ if he is to come to know God in this day of grace, in this dispensation. There is a limitation to man's natural understanding. I guess we should say it that way. To man's natural understanding. What he can learn in and of himself apart from the Word of God, from the revealed truth of God. But let me say this and encourage you tonight. There is a limit to man's understanding, but I'm glad there is also a light to man's understanding. Man is not bound to stay within darkness. Man is not required to stay and remain ignorant of who the God of heaven is. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 10.10. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You see, there is a way a man can know and learn who God is, and it's through the truth of this book right here. This is important for us to understand because it's going to dictate. Listen, until we realize how important it is that we share the gospel with people, we ain't going to share the gospel with people. We might pay money for other people to share the gospel. We might pray for others to share the gospel. We might support the sharing of the gospel. But until we realize that a lost sinner, unless somebody preaches to him, unless somebody shares the truth with him, unless somebody proclaims the gospel to him, that person is going to die without Christ. Until we realize that, we ain't going to get serious about it. Now, let me be very clear with what I'm about to say. That doesn't mean you have to be in the church house to be saved. Let me tell you something. If you have to be in a church house to be saved, I'm in trouble. Because I was in my bedroom when I got saved. There wasn't nobody preaching when I got saved. I was alone in my bedroom on a Monday evening at 7.30 by myself when I came to know Christ. But I was not born with the knowledge of the gospel. I had been taken to the house of God. I had been sat under the preaching of the Word of God. I had been exposed to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't born with the knowledge of God. I did not come to a knowledge of God in and of myself and alone. I came to know Christ because somebody took the Bible and showed me I was a sinner. And I needed the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a light to man's understanding. And you're right now holding it in your lap or in your hand. This is the key. This is what men need to hear. This truth, this gospel, that Christ uh, was uh, died according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That He, the Son of God, is, is alive today and powerful and mighty to save if they'll place their faith in Him. That it's not about their good works, it's not about their church membership, it's not about their own righteousness, that their righteousness is filthy rags, that they are nothing before God, that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what they need to have revealed and shared and, and taught and preached unto them. There is a light to human understanding. Men are not born with that reality, with that understanding, with that truth. Uh, we must be exposed to that. In fact, the Bible, and we'll talk about it here in a little while, but the Bible talks about how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe in Him on, who, uh, on Him in whom they have not heard? How shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? If they've never heard of Jesus, how can they believe in Jesus? If they've never heard the gospel, how can they believe the gospel? There is a limit, but there is a light to human understanding. So I think this starts with a great cry in verse 29. It says, the, uh, how can I? But then notice the next three words. We see not only a great cry, we see a great cooperation taking place. 
He says, how can I accept some man? Boy, those verses, those words are dear and precious to me. I'll tell you why. Because I'm nobody, but I am some man that can be used of God. And by the way, we understand that when he says some man, he's speaking about Philip. And so he says some man. That's not to say that women can't share the truth of the gospel and witness. And listen, you ought to be sharing the truth of the gospel. Whether you're a man, woman, a boy, or a girl, if you're saved by God's grace, you ought to be sharing the truth of the gospel. But I think the truth is this, that God has a place and God has a process and God has a person. And we need to be in that place, submitted to that process, And we need to surrender our person to God to be used of Him to this end. I would like for you to note, number one, the prerogative that invites us to take part in this. Now, here's what everybody is going to say, okay? I've heard people say this the whole time I've pastored, even before I pastored, when I was just a youth pastor, and even before that, when I was a young person in church, I heard people say things like this, Oh, I could never do that. Who am I to do that? How about this one? Oh, I'm just not cut out that. Listen to what the Word of God says about who God chooses to share the gospel. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says, For ye see your calling, brethren. By the way, do you know that Paul's talking to church members? The letter to the church at Corinth, it's not the letter, uh, the letter to the pastor at Corinth, it's not the letter to the deacon board at Corinth, it's not the letter to the mission organization at Corinth, it's the letter to the church at Corinth. And he says, For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. That's me. You know one of the first things people always ask me when they hear that I'm a pastor? One of the first things they ask me is they say, where did you go to seminary? Now, I don't know if they're ashamed of this, but I'm not ashamed of this. I never did go to seminary. I I, I went, I, I, I gathered myself, I tucked myself under a bunch of theological books, and I learned to love studying the Bible and reading about the Bible and reading the Bible and listening to good preaching. And whatever I am today is the result of that, be it good, be it bad. Uh, I'm just thankful for the field God's placed me in. Somebody say amen to that. I'm glad little is much when God is in it, because I'm little. I mean, not little, but little stature-wise. But uh, people always want to ask that. And listen, I'm not against that. I'm not against a man getting some education. But we need to understand that it's not education that equips us for ministry. It's consecration that equips us for ministry. It's not education that makes you a soul winner. It's consecration that makes you a soul winner. Now, God may use your education as He seeks to win people, but it's not your education. Uh, Listen, you can go a lot farther with no education, but a good dose of consecration than you'll ever get with all of the education the world has to offer and no consecration. He says, not many noble, not many wise are called, but who? God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. To confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. You know what base means? It means ugly. Does that give anybody in here hope tonight? Amen. It does me. Base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen. Yea, and things which are not. You know, like that person that says, I'm not cut out for this. That person that says, I'm not eloquent enough to do this, that person that says, I'm not knowledgeable enough to share the gospel, that's who God's chosen. The folks, not the folks that are, the folks that are not, is what He's chosen. To bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, here's what I want you to understand tonight. 
If it was a matter of me being worthy to share the gospel, I'd never be worthy. But for you to look at the God of heaven and say, Lord, I can't, is to say, Lord, you're wrong. Because He has said, by my grace, you can. It's not me that's chosen Him, neighbor. And I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not talking about none of that Calvinism mess. I'm not talking about all that. But I'm talking about when it comes to ministry and serving God. I mean, I did have to make the choice to serve God. But listen, if we're asking whether it's a good idea or not, uh, whether we serve God, we don't have to worry about our choice. We have to worry about God's choice. God has chosen to use you and me to share the gospel. And so who are you or me to argue with what God has chosen? We see the prerogative that invites us. But notice, number two, the, the privilege that invokes us. You say, okay, preacher, I could, but why should I? Let me read a few verses to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. There are, I, I, listen, I could probably give you at least 100,000 reasons that you ought to be sharing the gospel. But this reason right here ought to be enough. The Bible says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. But God that giveth the increase. And he's talking about witnessing, soul winning, sharing the gospel, ministering in the word. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Listen to this. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Let me tell you why we ought to share the gospel. If we have no other reason, then it ought to be sufficient that God would count us worthy enough to take this glorious gospel and to partner with the Lord, to be a fellow laborer with God, that God would let us, you and me, enter into His labors and bear some of the fruit and enjoy some of the reward. You say, preacher, what does that mean we're fellow laborers with God? Well, can I give you an example? In fact, you may have heard this just recently. I think we've been preaching on it around here. In Acts chapter number 8, God takes a sinner... (laughs) puts him in the desert, takes a soul winner, puts him in the same desert. God did that. Uh, Who was it that put that Bible in that eunuch's hand? Well, I don't know who God used, but I'll tell you who was the reason that the copy of Isaiah was in that eunuch's hand. God had orchestrated that. God had set that thing up. How many of you know what a travel agent is? Anybody? Oh, man, you got money around here. You can hire a travel agent. I'm going to borrow money from you. You know what a travel agent does? They set up the arrangements. You can have the best travel agent in the world, but if you don't roll out of bed, pack your bags, and get there, you ain't never going to have a vacation. By the same token, you can try to do it yourself. That's one of the things we're looking at this summer. I'm hoping it all goes well. Amen. We we might wind up clicking a wrong button and, uh, and, and booking something in North Dakota instead of South Dakota. I don't know. But you use a travel agent. You know why? Because they know all the ins and outs, and they know how to schedule things accordingly and appropriately. Now, I'm not trying to say God's just a travel agent. You know that. But I am saying this, that God sets up divine appointments. But it's your job and my job to be there. So, preacher, how can I do that? We can be in the will of God. We can be. Hey, who was it that told Philip to go down? It was the Spirit that told Philip to go down. What if he had done like most Baptists and said, well, that's just a hunch. That's not the Spirit. I'm going to ignore that. There'd be a man from Ethiopia in hell tonight if he had done that. By the way, let me say this, and I don't say this to guilt you, but this is the reality. There's real consequences to us hindering our, our sharing and our shining of the light of the gospel. I'm saying there's probably, I'm going to have to stand before Christ and there'll be people in hell because I lay down at the job at times in my life. 
Now, I know they chose to reject Christ. I know they are accountable. But guess what? They are accountable for them. That's true. But guess what? You and I, were accountable for us. And so they are going to answer for them, but we're going to answer for us. And it will be at our hand and at our head that that has happened. There are real life, real world consequences that affect eternity as to whether or not we're faithful in the sharing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a thousand reasons. But I think just that privilege that we can labor with God, that ought to be enough if nothing else is. I see in this verse that there is a great cry and a great cooperation taking place. But let me close with this thought. I see in these verses a great commission that is given. It says, how can I, and that's the cry of the human heart and experience, except some man, that's the great cooperation that God uses you and I to share the gospel. But then finally, I see a great commission should guide me. What is the task of the soul winner? Let me say, number one, that the guide for the soul winner is just that. It's the Word of God guiding a person to Jesus Christ. I'll go ahead and make confession to you. I don't get real hung up on semantics and terminology one way or the other. Because if you do, you're just going to be tore up all the time. You can't control what everybody says. But if I was to nitpick, I would suggest this to you tonight, that I'm not particularly fond of the term soul winner. For this reason, it ain't your job or mine to win people. It's your job and mine to warn people. And again, I don't get hung up on semantics, but I do believe this is not just a difference without a distinction. I do believe that there is a distinction between this idea that somehow if we just witness to a person enough, we're going to break their will. That's not how it works. Or that somehow if we just, if we just pray for a person enough, we're going to subject their will to ours. And somehow that's going to make the difference. Here's what I think our job is to do. It's to find people that are trying to head towards Jesus and to guide them there. To guide them there. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't witness to everybody we come across. We should. But basically, at, at, at its fundamental basis, our responsibility is not to force people to get saved, because we can't force anybody to get saved. But it's to find somebody in whose heart the Spirit of God is already working and to be willing to take the Word of God or the truth of the Gospel and guide them to come to Christ, to show them the direction to go. Let me tell you, one of the great lies the devil tells us is that you and I here in East Tennessee, everything's too gospel-hardened. That's what people say. i got a news for you, though. That may have been true 40 years ago, but there has been so much false gospel propagated in society today that just because they know the language, that doesn't mean they know the truth. It's true. If you go up and down the street and ask people, you saved? They're going to say, yeah. And then they're going to walk away and say, I don't know what he's talking about, but I think I answered it right. Because they've been around church long enough to know. You know what I like to do? I like to say things like this. I'll ask a person, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And then when they say yes, because everybody always says yes, because that's how they think they can get you off the back. I like to say this. You know, I love to hear people's testimonies. Can you tell me how that happened to you? Can you tell me what, what happened when you got saved? That's not deceptive. It's just that's what I'm really interested in. I'm not just interested in a one-word answer. Anybody can give a one-word answer. They can train a chimpanzee to give one-word answer on command. I'm not interested in their answer. I'm interested in their experience. I want to know what happened to them. I want to know if they really met the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in whether they've been baptized. I'm not interested in whether their granddaddy was a Baptist deacon or pastor. I'm interested in whether they know the God of glory. And so, oftentimes, when we go that extra step and say, well, will you, will you tell me about it? Will you share that with me? You'll find that people ain't as gospel-hardened as you think. They just know the language. 
You'll find that oftentimes they'll say things like this. Well, one time I was, this happened to me and somebody prayed for me. Well, you and I both know that ain't what salvation is. Or they'll say things like, well, you know, I've been going to church my whole life. Well, you know that ain't what, what uh, being saved is. Or people say, well, I've been baptized. Well, you and I know that ain't what's being saved. Being saved is coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by ceasing to try to get to heaven of our own accord and by placing our faith in His finished work. We are believing on Him not just as Savior, but for our salvation. He is to be our Savior. We're trusting our salvation unto Him. That's what we're committing to do. And so often people say, well, it's just too gospel-hardened, preacher. Well, if all you ever do is just ask someone, you saved, then you're going to think that way. But if you'll actually engage in a conversation with somebody, at dialogue, man, that's a, that's a wild concept, isn't it? Dialogue, you'll find out that this, this society's not as gospel-hardened as you think. There's a bunch of folks that think being saved is like checking, checking the, the mark on, when you're filling out a warranty form. And they just, when they, when they fill it out, they check out Baptist instead of Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever it might be. And that is the extent of their knowledge of God. The reality is this. Our responsibility is to find those people and say this, Hey, I'm glad you had that experience. That's wonderful. But can I tell you what the Bible says about being saved? Can I tell you what the Word of God reveals about knowing Christ? Our responsibility is not to twist their arm, not to embarrass them, not to bully them, not to force them. Our responsibility is to guide them. And what is that responsibility? We see the guide for the soul winner, but finally, and I'm done, I see the goal of the soul winner. And you know, it really, to me, it's embodied in what happened in Mark chapter number 2. Do you remember in Mark chapter number 2? There's these four men, and they've got a friend. That friend is an invalid. He's a paralytic. And they want some way for him to be healed. And so they make up their mind. They hear that Jesus is preaching in a house nearby. And they say this, if we can just get him to Jesus... Everything's going to be okay. They had one singular goal that day. That goal was to get him to Jesus. Not just for him to see Jesus. Not for Jesus to see him. Not for him to hear Jesus. But to get him in the presence of the Son of God. And so they arrived at the house. And the house was full. Jesus was in the place preaching. And the house was full. And they couldn't even get in. So they go up to the top of the roof. And they begin to pull back the various tiles and, and materials that made the roof. And they open the roof up. I, that fellow, I, I guess he didn't know when Jesus come over, he's getting a skylight. Amen. But, and then they each take a corner of that bed and they lower him down to get him into the presence of Jesus. You know what they fundamentally understood? We can't help him, but Jesus can. And if we can just get him to Jesus, if we can just get him face to face with the Son of God, then that will make all the difference. You know that they got him there. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee, thy faith hath made thee whole. That man still had to personally place his faith in Christ. But they had fulfilled their responsibility. They had done all a person could do when they got him to Jesus. You know what your responsibility is? You know what your goal as a soul winner ought to be? It ought to be for a person to come to a clear understanding of their condition of Christ's sacrifice and of the terms upon which they can receive Jesus Christ. Too often, I think we associate success with fruit. And I think that's dangerous. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 4, one of the great soul-winning chapters in the entire Word of God? He said to His disciples, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. He didn't say, My meat is to bear much fruit. 
My meat is to be greatly received of men. My meat is to be lauded by society. He said, my meat, the thing that drives me, the thing that sustains me, the thing that I long for is just to do the will of God and to finish His work. Too often we've, we've treated this thing of soul winning like notches on our belt and counting noses. Let me tell you something, it's killed our churches. We've treated it like, well, all it is is just trying to, to wrench a confession, a, a wrench some information out of somebody. And by the way, I don't believe it's hard to be saved. I don't believe that it's complicated to be saved. And I'm not suggesting that it is. But I am suggesting this, that our responsibility begins and ends at this truth. We are to get a man face to face with the reality of Christ and God's ability to save him and the means and mechanism of that happening. That's our goal. If they don't clearly understand that, we've not done our job. If they do clearly understand that, then regardless of the outcome, we've done our job. I remember one year when we did vacation Bible school, I've shared this illustration several times. Uh, a little boy, and I can't remember the little boy's name to save my life, but uh, oftentimes a, a teacher, if they've led someone to the Lord and they're, you know, maybe just got some questions about it, they'll, they'll bring the, the youngster to me and say, Preacher, will you talk to him? And uh, I was actually standing up here by the platform, and uh, a teacher came in and said, you know, I prayed with this young man, and, and I think he understands, but preacher, will you talk to him? I said, of course I will. And uh, the young man I came up, and he, he stood right here, right in front of me. I remember it clear as day. And uh, he said, uh, I, I said to him, so-and-so, I said his name. I said, what did you do tonight? And he said, I got saved. I said, well, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Why did you believe you needed to be saved? And he said, well, because I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a bad person. And I said, well, that's true. We're all sinners. I said, uh, how, how did you get saved? What did you do to get saved? He said, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. And I said, well, man, that's wonderful. I said, why do you believe Jesus could save you? And he said, because he's magic. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the particular soul condition of that young man at that moment. But I would venture to say this. That was a young man. He was almost there. He almost understood but there were some things he hadn't grasped about the reality of the gospel. And by the way, that worker did a great job when you're dealing with young people. Oftentimes, uh, some of the things, you really have to depend on the Holy Ghost to guide you. Because there ain't, I mean, who would ever think that, right? Who would ever think that witnessing somebody, somebody's going to think Jesus can save them because he's magic. But to a little child, that made sense. And what I'm saying is this. Of course, I, I talked to that little boy. I shared with that little boy. I told him, I said, you keep coming, you keep listening. But what I'm saying is this, the sum total responsibility... And it's true for our workers at camp. It's true for our workers at vacation Bible school. It's true for every believer. Is to present the reality that Christ is the Son of God, that He's died for our sins, that He rose the third day, that He's powerful to save, that we're a sinner, we can't save ourselves, that we must trust in Him to save us. That's our responsibility, to confront them with that truth and reality. Not to be mean, not to be rude. And once you have done that, you've gotten them there. That, that's, that's, that's the sum total of what is your responsibility. Now, I'm not saying if somebody wants to get saved, you shouldn't pray with them, this, that, and the other. What I'm saying is, at its core, that is our job, is to get them to Jesus. What does the Bible say that, the, that Philip did? He began at that same Scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. That's our responsibility. He didn't preach unto him the Baptist church. And, and by the way, he goes on later and baptizes him. Right? That, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the big reasons they try to take that out of Bibles is because this is a perfect proof text for baptism by immersion. It says they, they went down into the water. They came up straightway out of the water. That's baptism by immersion. He did go on to baptize them later, but that wasn't what he was interested in in getting them to the baptismal waters. We have no knowledge of whether or not this man ever 
was a part of a local church, although there was a gospel witness in the region of Ethiopia in the early days of the New Testament church, could have been from this man. But we have no knowledge of that because his responsibility wasn't to get him to church. And by the way, if the best you can do in someone's life is invite them to church and get them to come to church with God bless you, do that. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. But I'm saying they can come to this church for the next 40 years and still die if they, and go to hell if they don't know Christ. The goal is to get them to Jesus. And once you've got them there, what they do with Jesus is their choice and their choice alone. You can't force them one way or the other. But what you can do is you can pray for them. You can be faithful to witness to them. Because after all, how can I? Except some man should guide me. That's me. That's you. They're not born with a knowledge of these things. They're not born knowing who God is. I wasn't born knowing who God is. Someone had to take a Bible and show me how to be saved. And by the way, when they took a Bible and showed me how to be saved, I didn't get saved at that moment. I got saved later on on my own. But it was because somebody had taken a Bible and shown me the truth and reality of it. So you might be one of those not people, not cut out, not eloquent, not smart. That's good if you are. You're just the kind of person God's looking for because He's chosen the things that are not to bring to not the things that are. Let's bow our heads together tonight.